This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. The public radio show This American Life has, well, I'm just going to take a sip of water here before I get into this. And a deep breath. This American Life has been on the air for almost 30 years. It has won nine Peabody's, an Edward R. Murrow Award, and a Pulitzer. It was a TV show on Showtime. It has literally millions of podcast listeners. Its spin-off serial basically made podcasts a thing. And this year, This American Life passed 800 episodes. As of this recording, they are at 812. And here's maybe the most amazing thing of all. It is still really, really great. For all the reasons it always has been, it's engrossing and funny and moving, and for new ones too. As its resources have grown, so have its ambitions. And these days, it's often the show telling the most compelling stories about the most important issues in our world. Of course, behind all that, all this time, Ira Glass. He created the show way back when. He's still steering the ship now at 64. There is, of course, a brilliant staff, but the buck still stops with Ira. To celebrate this American life hitting 800 episodes, we talked with the man himself. And um, I do want to mention that toward the end, for reasons too complicated to explain, he and I each use a somewhat vulgar word for tush, tushies. Anyway, here he is, public radio legend and one of my personal heroes, I'll be honest, Ira Glass. Hi, Ira. Welcome back to the show. Congratulations on uh, this incredible anniversary. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Ira, uh, how much do you work? A lot, still. Like, there's a lot of days that um, that begin at, at 8 a.m. and the work continues to 7 a.m. or later, still. Like in the same day? I mean, sorry, 7 a.m. I mean, 7 p.m., um, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that would that would be that would be that would be a lot. No, no. Sorry, seven p.m. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no. There's there's it's uh, there's a lot of. I mean, you know, some weeks are easier than others. How much of it is in uh, making the show? Like, uh, you know, the the stuff that goes on the air, and how much of it is you being in charge of things and like being a business person or whatever. Depends on the week. I would say. Overall, it's probably 75% actually making things, being in on edits, writing things, doing interviews. A lot of it, like in many weeks, will be just like editing other people's stuff, you know. And then occasionally there's, you know, there'll be two days where 
for six hours each day or five hours each day. I'm listening to drafts of a serial, you know, the new serial show, because I listen on edits of those shows. So thankfully, most of it is actually making stuff. But the reason that I ask you that is that I think relative to other people who make stuff, and especially in public radio, you are the person who is most kind of sanguine and sometimes even excited about business operations. That like you're you're willing to admit that you are making a thing that has to be paid for and uh, so on and so forth in a way that when I go to a public radio conference and there's people who are on air are, are talking, like I get the impression that they feel like they, they deserve it. And so they shouldn't have to worry about it, the business stuff. No, that's true. And and I do. But the fact is, I, I enjoy the business part of it. Like the business part of it is so much easier in a way than the editorial part of it. Like making a show, so many things can go wrong and so many ideas have to be discarded on the way to the good ideas. And you just go through so many drafts of things that aren't quite right and and f- even figuring out kind of what you want to do and even looking for a story you know even that early phase where you're like calling around figuring out is this is this worth doing like all that stuff is so f- like it's so imprecise and you know and we're a show where we still kill a ton of stuff like a fourth to a third of everything we start we kill and and um you know you just kind of run at so much stuff whereas running a business I mean, a business like this, which is pretty simple. There aren't that many inputs and outputs. Like, like it's it's just it's it's like doing a recipe or something instead. It's like it's like going into the kitchen with like, oh, and I've got a couple ingredients. I know if I put this in the temperature in the oven, this temperature, it's going to be fine. And so I like that. And then the business also, you can just invent stuff in the business. You know, like I spent a fair amount of time today writing pledge drive promos and pitching Neil Patrick Harris to do an event for the pledge drive, which I don't know if he'll do. Like, and if he doesn't, like, I'm sure, you know, I hope he'll be okay with me saying that we reached out to him. But you know what I mean? That's the the headline of this interview. (laughs) Neil Patrick Harris spurns Ira Glass. (laughs) I'm too big for you, says Harris. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, I'm just saying. Like, but, but I mean, you know, he's just somebody who were pitching a thing. Like, oh, maybe this would be fun to do for the pledge drive, and do an event, and then like, and so there was like a good hour of my day today is just thinking of like, what do we want to say to Neil, and what would actually be fun to do with him, and what might he like to do, and and writing some, and then because we have to record the pledge drive show this week, writing what it is that we would do on the air if in fact this would happen. So we can do this properly. And like, that was like a, you know, that was the amount of time and there'll be more time spent on that before the day's out. And I feel like that's, I don't know, it's an interesting challenge. It's interesting to think of something fun for the pledge drive. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to think of something that'll be good for the pledge drive, actually. You know what I mean? And like, and so that's, a, you know, that's that's a thing to do. It's it's I will say, like, just to speak to kind of the bigger thing I think you're gesturing at, like, I do have the feeling often that I created a life for myself where it's like, I get to do things that I really like to do, 
but it's like a meal I like that I'm never allowed to stand up from the table and walk away. And so there's a downside to that, (laughs) you know? I mean, have you ever considered in the 25 to 30 years that you've been making this American life or the whatever it is, 40 years now that you've been making public radio stuff, like what your what your goal is beyond this week? I mean, yes, of course. I mean, you say, of course. I'm not sure that I have. Why? Do you, can I ask the same of you? Do you know what your goal is beyond this week? Not really. No, I never have. I think the only reason I'm able to make a show at all is that I have to do it every week. Uh, people say, like, what are, where are you going to be in five years? I have no clue at all. Is there something that you would like to do in your creative life or your work life that, that, that you've never gotten a chance to do? I don't know, dude, but this I'm interviewing you, dude. I'm interviewing you, Ira. And so the question that I'm asking you is, what what is it for you? Because it's not self-evident that someone who makes a weekly radio show would have medium to long-term goals. Because part of the point of making a weekly radio show, to me at least, is that it gets you over the hump of feeling like everything has to be the thing that you imagined it to be five years from now. Uh, like it doesn't have to be perfect and beautiful the way that you imagine it might be because you just yeah. got to put it on the air. Well, the answer is yes. I have thought about what do I, what do I want to be doing? And, um, and honestly, like I had two goals that are partly realized. Uh, and one of the goals is that the, just the show would run uh, better and by better, I mean we wouldn't be in a rhythm where we would do two really good shows and then we would just have nothing and have to scramble for a week or two and just throw together a couple things, which we can do and we've done since 1995, but it's very unpleasant. And um, and somehow in this year, you know, partly thanks, I have to say, to our managing editor, Sara Abdurrahman, and our executive editor, Emmanuel Berry, and our, and our senior editor, David Kestenbaum, um, like somehow we've come into a rhythm and and of like we actually know what shows we're making for the next two months at any given point, and they're pretty good. Like, like you know, like we have stuff in the works all the time. And the rest of the staff is is so experienced and there's so many of them that like at any given point we actually have anchor stories for shows going two months out. And so we're not scrambling like that for the first time in the twenty something year of history of the show. So our lives are all a lot saner. So much more to get into with Ira Glass. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Viking Books, publisher of Get the Picture by Bianca Bosker. In Get the Picture, the New York Times bestselling author of Cork Dork now takes readers on a journey inside the secretive world of art. The Washington Post calls it brilliant, and Time Magazine says it's a gripping and often hilarious investigation into the art world. Bosker goes full Tom Wolf. Read Get the Picture, available now. This message comes from NPR sponsor SAP Concur. Global Head of Sales Ryan Demeray shares how SAP Concur solutions can help solve specific problems and support long-term growth. We have a, a travel 
booking tool, we have an expense tool, and we have a vendor invoice tool. We very much so take the uh, approach of we want to meet businesses where they're at. You can start with a piece of it and grow. Maybe you have a very specific business problem that you need to solve for today before you can move forward. Maybe you only have 10 expense claims. You're going to try this out as a proof of concept for uh, a division of your team. That's really what we focus on with customers as they begin their relationship with Concur. It's what do you need to solve for today? And how can we show you immediate value by solving that problem and then grow with you over time? Visit Concur.com to learn more. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ira Glass. He is, of course, the host of This American Life, the co-creator of Serial and S-Town, and, you know, the guy without whose example I never would have gone into public radio. This American Life recently celebrated 800 episodes, 800, an astounding feat. Let's get back into my conversation with Ira Glass. For a long time, Ira, you were famous for finishing edits I don't even know, like, you're finishing the edits on the second act of the show while the first act was going up to the satellite or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that that happened for sure. And, um, and, uh, and, and the truth is, like, many weeks we are, like, bringing it right down to the deadline. But, but that's just, um, compulsiveness, you know. Um, and, but, and other weeks we're not, you know, as a staff. Like this week, we're we're putting out this week. We're going to finish next week's show by Friday of this week. You know, so does not being in a sprint to the finish line constantly change the way that you relate to your work? On the pieces that I'm involved in, it doesn't change it at all. So, for example, a few weeks ago, I am one of the producers, Valerie Kipnis. We produced this hour long episode with Masha Gessen, the New Yorker writer, um, who's just an incredible writer. And then it turns out an incredible interviewer on tape. And, um, and this was a story that I was in from the beginning and I stayed in, like I'm the one who directed them in the studio. And then I'm the one who brought them back for retakes of like, you know, like, you know, line could be do a little better here or there and, you know, fact check, well, we got to change this word here or there. And then I'm the one who who edited the retakes. Like, in other words, the most minute um, kind of down to the wire. I'm the one who did the mix notes on the entire episode. And it was a grueling week <laughs> that I really wondered, like, why am I doing this? But I really wanted it to be just the way I wanted it. And that's that. You know, I wanted it to be as perfect as as I know how to make it. And then, so for those stories that that it's one that I'm producing, and certainly everything that, that all the stories that I do myself that I'm reporting are that way, um, where, you know, I still am giving the mixed notes and micromanaging every part of it. And doing all the reporting, um, or doing or doing some of the reporting. Actually, people like other people would all, will will often do like the some of the early reporting on the little things, but um, but on the big things, I'll do the reporting. And um, but then there's a whole class of stories that I just get out of, you know, where I'll hear a draft of it and give my notes, and then other people will do all of it. I won't hear the mixes. I won't hear anything because everybody's so good at their jobs. Like I don't have to. 
And so that's really different. So there's a, so, so, so there's a volume of work that I used to do where I was hearing every story down to the final mixes and giving notes on every single thing and, and you know, where, where I'm just not involved in and where I would be editing in so many more edits of every story. And so this goal of like working differently, like I, ha- I, like I do work differently now than I did five years ago, for sure. And, um, and can pick and choose other things to do. The problem is then I get interested in other things. Like I wrote a book with somebody in the last, <laughs> in the last few months. You know what I mean? Like, and it's somebody who's in England. So basically I would get up and we would meet from 6 to 8 a.m. every day and work on the book. And, uh, and I went over there for a month and a week. And we worked on the book. And, uh, and so now we have a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so then other things fill the time. Well, I mean, there was there was that point where it was like Ira's going full dilettante. Like Ira's out here. He got bored of doing talks in the style of This American Life and decided to add dancing. That's true. They were like toured in a dance show. That's true. Yeah, I know. I know. It was really fun. I really recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you think about your career in the medium to long term in a way that you didn't now that you have some room from that headlong rush or your life. I mean, you could also like, you could totally retire. You know what I mean? I don't think I've never thought of having a career. All I've thought about is like, what do I want to do? What do I want to make? Like what would be fun to do? Um, So I've never been somebody who's used the word career. Um, So I don't think about that, but I do think about like just wanting more time off and, and I absolutely don't. I have not achieved that very well. Why not? I mean, I guess, I don't know. Like there's a practical answer and there's a deeper psychological answer. The practical answer is just somehow um, I haven't figured out a way to organize that. And then the deeper psychological answer is probably like, I just must not want it that badly. I don't know. I was with somebody for for a few years um, after I was married, who had a little boy. And so I very much was like trying to get home every day, leave the office every day at six to be home for dinner and, and to be with him and her. And, um, and that enforced a kind of discipline and, and, and making space for a private life that I never had before. And I liked that. Um, so, and they're, they're still in my life, but we're not, like, we're not all together, you know. Like, tonight, I'm, I'm going over there in in an hour, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, after after we finish this interview. And uh, uh, and we have stuff planned to hang out and do. You know, without, without something urgent, like a child to go home to, um, you know, it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take on that story, too. That'll be fun. Um, I don't know. So the answer is like, I don't think I'm handling it quite right, but here I am. Do you feel like you're just, you'll work until you're dead? I don't know. I don't know. I could imagine stopping for sure. And I can imagine doing something else. For a long time, the show was just you, like forever and ever. The show was just you host wise. And it was like, it was a very conscious choice, I think. To, uh, to have other people host the show and was like jarring for the audience. I think you guys had to like deal with some, wait a minute, isn't this Irish show? 
um, vibes. And now, you know, other people host the show regularly, not just one other person. You know what I mean? Um, you you sort of reveal the group of people that make the show um, more conspicuously. Can I ask you, as somebody who's heard the show, is it jarring? Was it jarring to have other people host? Oh, yeah. Profoundly. Hmm. Yeah. Can I ask one more question? I've actually never asked anybody this, and I feel like, oh, you're in a position where, where like, you've heard the show and you could actually answer. Like, when Bim or Hannah or Sean um, or Nancy or Kestenbaum, David Kestenbaum, when they host the show, I always feel like, they're so good, like, 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 and, and different from me that I feel like, like, my hope is like the audience is with me. of like, oh, that's really good. You know, like. But I think, you know, Ira, you know, Ira, that it's not about them not being good at it. It's like Fresh Air just hired a new host and she does a great job. Like I've been listening to her, you know, she's only a month in or two months in now. And she does a killer job. Like she's so good at it. Um, and fresh air has had other people host the show for decades, you know, Barbara Bogave and whatnot. Dave Davies. Um, yeah. Well, Dave Davies is wonderful. Sure. And like, I'm still just like, wait a minute, this is Terry's show. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, I understand. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Like is Artie good? Yeah, Sure. But if Howard Stern wasn't, if he was hosting Stern instead of Stern, you would be annoyed that Stern wasn't there. Yeah. See, now you're, now you're, now you're, now you're talking to me where I live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. That's why I chose <laughs> that example. <laughs> I'm no stone jug, as my stepmother would say. Okay. Yeah. Point taken. And I mean, I think you're aware that this American life in particular is about a perspective that, um, you know, it's maybe less true now that everyone in half of audio production aspires to make something that's like your show, but like, you know, it, it was, it was different and of you when you started the show, it was clear that it was, a you know, just as, a Prairie Home Companion was about Garrison Keillor in a way that Morning Edition wasn't even about a more just, you know, Bob Edwards, who people were mad when, when they, when they axed him, you know? Yeah, I see that. And you chose that. Like, that's not, that wasn't an accident. You wanted to make an Iris style show. Yeah, though, honestly, I didn't see it as an Iris style show. Like, I didn't see, it didn't seem like a, a, it didn't seem like a, um, it didn't seem like it was about me to me. It just felt like, oh, this would work and it would be fun to listen to. That's all I thought. And and this is my taste. You know what I mean? And I feel like and I feel like so little of this, it's so rare on the show that I ever actually talk about my personal life. You know what I mean? Like like really what you get is just my taste of what what would be fun to listen to. And um, you know, since it's a radio show, then that's that's enough. That's enough information, you know. But I didn't view it as like, I didn't view it as like, it's funny because, because, you know, like, uh, there was a moment really early on in the show when we changed the name of the show from its original name. And then we had to pick another name because to get on, basically, the, the like, a, 
we weren't even in distribution yet. We were just out of Chicago and we were getting ready to be a national show, but we just, we have to practice a couple months making this to see that we can get it out every week. And at the time, the original name of the show was Your Radio Playhouse, which was a, really like a sort of a tribute both to like kind of old time radio, but but mostly a tribute to Pee Wee's Playhouse, um, which I really loved and thought was just like this just enormously creative, new, fresh seeming thing. And... Um, and uh, and then uh, and then the woman who ran the uh, one of the Los Angeles stations, uh, KCRW, said like she heard a recording of it. She's like, "We'll put this on now. We're not going to wait for you to go into national distribution." But can I tell you, you got to change the name because there's already an NPR Playhouse, which was a show that was on there, and it's too close to that. And it's going to be confusing, and it's not that good of a name. So give it another name. What about Glass House? I remember she said, "What about Glass House?" And I just was like, "I don't want my name." on the show. It's not about me. I remember saying back, like, well, why don't we just call it Glass Hole? You know, we're going to go that one. <laughs> you know, like, like, or I didn't say that to her because I needed to be polite. And she was a very smart, wonderful lady, too. Um, but anyway, like, yeah. And so, and so, like, yeah, I would, I never, I, I wouldn't put my name on it because it wasn't like, I didn't see it as as mine in that way. Though in retrospect, I guess I see what you're saying. Like, 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 you know, like when you see, like, it's the Daily Show with Jon Stewart, yeah, I just didn't want that. I wanted it to just be, it's a show. I would I would hate to be hosting a show which had my name on it. I feel indicted, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> but that's personal taste. And as you're pointing out, it doesn't matter that my name isn't on it. Like you're pointing out actually the folly of what I'm doing. Like like it like it is it is my show whether I want it to be or not. You've always very self consciously put a lot of the money that the show earns back into the show. Um, I remember one time I learned how much money you were making. And this was a while ago, so hopefully you make more money now. But I was like, oh, dude, come on. We we got <laughs> to figure out how to make more money than that for you. <laughs> Let's at least get you one of those highly paid executive ex- assistants or something. Um, but... Uh, when you're conscious of running a business and you're skilled at it, you know, you've done a good job of figuring out what are the ways to goose the inputs. Why don't you keep the money? Not like all of it, but why do you have a staff of three dozen and not a staff of two dozen and some extra houses? I mean, it seemed more fun to hire more people, honestly. Like, there's so many talented people, <laughs> you know? It just seemed more fun. And then and then, I don't have a smarter answer than that. It's like we made the money from making the show, and so the money is to spend on the show, I always thought. And, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I make enough money. That's it. Like, like I, don't, I, I, I don't understand people who are motivated by making more money. I feel like once you make enough money so you have a place that you're living and you can eat at a restaurant when you want to. And like, if you have kids, your kids have what they need. I mean, the kid thing really does change it. Like not having kids really changes your need for money, you know? Um, and 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 so like, that's just a profound difference. But, but you know, I even have money enough to have kids. <laughs> like if I wanted to have a kid. Like, you, you know, so so I just didn't care that much about it. And 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 honestly, like like the money that I'm, I always, I, I'm still t- not to this day. Like I have a salary that's basically the same as as 
you know, what, what David and Emmanuel make and like, you know, and this most senior people like Nancy, like we all, we all kind of basically make the same thing. And, um, and, uh, and that seems fine. We're all running a show together. Like, 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 and, and I, and, uh, and what I have that they don't have is like, I go around and give speeches and they pay me money to give speeches. And, and honestly, like, like more of the money that I take home is from giving, going around, giving a talk every month or two. Like that, that, that pays a lot of money. And so, um, and so I don't need to take it out of the business. The money in the business can just pay the people in the business. We'll finish up with Ira Glass after a quick break. When we return, how many anagrams can you make with Ira Glass's name? And how many of them will require us to hit the bleep button? The answer will be yours, but only if you keep listening. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Prime Video. Find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Get everything included with Prime and add on hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password, Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. People say not to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Which is why here on Just the Zoo of Us, we judge them by so much more. We rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, taking into consideration each animal's true strengths, like a pigeon's ability to tell a Monet from a Picasso or a polar bear's ability to play basketball. Guest experts like biologists, ecologists, and more join us to share their unique insight into the animal's world. Listen with friends and family of all ages on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Ira Glass, host and creator of This American Life. I know that you really love the kind of work that This American Life does, so I'm going to stipulate that. But don't you ever just like roll your eyes at fake This American Life's? Like, I know that in your heart, you believe that there should be more things like that in the world. Like, I know that's where... I've seen you talk about it. I can tell you're sincere. Yeah. <laughs> but it's ebbed a little bit because there's less speculative money in podcasting and making this American Life type stuff is expensive. Well, no, in fact, it's on the wane. I mean, I mean, it's so expensive to do. It's so much cheaper to do kind of right. any other kind of podcast than one where where you go out and research for a long time and get a ton of tape and edit it for a long time and rewrite and you have a team of people and... Like it's so labor intensive. It's so much more expensive than any other kind of podcast. And 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 a lot of the business model for that has gone away. So it's not like this is a burgeoning part of the podcast ecosystem. What it is is that you know, there's a couple of places that are doing it. Um, and and even some of them are struggling. Like like it's interesting to me that even Malcolm Gladwell's company, which, you know, produces Malcolm's show and Michael Lewis and a bunch of other shows, Pushkin. It's called, um, even they had layoffs at one point, you know, like, like even they couldn't make a go of it. Um, and, uh, and they're pretty like business savvy bunch over there. And so, and so this type, this style of, of 
storytelling on the radio, narrative journalism, like it, it isn't on, it isn't booming. It's just kind of a thing that's out there among other things. But to answer your question, um, do I ever hear people do it and roll my eyes? I definitely like hear stuff and I'm just like, that was not the right choice. No, not the right choice at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes, and like, and like, and sometimes I really get mad. I, I absolutely get mad. There was, um, there was a show, Shameless Acquisition Target. Did you hear that one? No, I didn't. It's basically somebody saying, like, I've worked in the podcast business and, like, I'm just creating this podcast so somebody can buy it and I'll be able to buy the house I want. And then, like, as part of the stakes of the show, she, like, walks by the house. And I have to say, like, it's such a ridiculous premise. And then she tries to dissect the podcast business and what's wrong with the podcast business, which is not something I'm actually interested in, even though I'm in the podcast business. But then, but then like the writing style, she writes it just like she's Jonathan Goldstein or something. She's so funny and just like packing in a million jokes in every paragraph and she performs it well. And then I was just like, okay, I'm in. And so even though I'm like picking a fight with it in my head, I'm just like, oh, come on. Like I, I've listened to every episode and then she has to interview me from one of them. And I was like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be on your show. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this show. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in. But like, so, so, so I guess I'm trying to say and answer your question. Like, yeah, I hear things that I, I really, I just feel like, oh, I, sometimes they make me mad in their bad choices. And then, and then, and then I don't know why I'm getting angry because like, what do I care? <laughs> like these people are nothing to me. And, um, and then sometimes I think like, that is not a choice that I would make, but like, but then, and then, then turn out to be really talented. And then you're just like, okay, great. You know? And so, so I'm experiencing a lot of feelings, a lot of feelings is what I'm saying. I read in an old interview that you eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch every day. Do you still eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch every day? No. Was that a choice you made at some point? Like, I got to mix this up. I, it wasn't actually a choice, just something kind of evolved. Yeah. What were you eating every day for breakfast and lunch before? Well, for years, every day for lunch, I would eat um, edamame and, uh, and a shrimp avocado roll. From uh, a sushi place around the corner. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty healthy. And what was I eating for breakfast every day? I don't even remember, honestly. Uh, but no, now I now I eat different stuff. And you didn't choose that. I didn't consciously choose that. No, I was like 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 uh, like no 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 uh, no. Just one day you went into the sushi place drunk and accidentally pointed at the wrong thing on the menu. It just occurred to me that you could do more. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, and, you know, yeah, yeah. It just, it just occurred to me that you could do more. Oh, and the sushi place closed during COVID. So there was no going back to the sushi place anymore. So that was off. But, this, but the change happened even before then. I like that the impetus between, behind you eating a different thing for lunch was the same as the impetus between you starting your revolutionary radio show, which is, it just occurred to me that you could <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Why do you think you still make this show and not a different show? I don't have a smart idea for another show. And this show doesn't seem played out to me. Like, I still feel like we come up with stuff that, like, we never came up with before, you know? And um, and this last year, we've been on a run of really good shows in a way that's been really exciting. Like, like, like it's just been a really nice run of shows. And, and including some really weird stuff. 
too. Like, like I, for the rats episode, I co-hosted the show with rats. You know, like, like there's just been like stuff mm-hmm. where you're just like, all right. That was very I was like, oh, we haven't done that. Let's do that. You know, like, I don't know. It just, it was, I don't know. I just feel like there's a feeling on the staff of like, yeah, let's try this. So sometimes when somebody's coming on my show, I'll post on social media, what should I ask them about? And I don't usually use a, a question this directly, but my friend Helen Zaltzman asked me, what is your favorite? You're flinching. It's nothing bad. I'm just scared. My friend Helen Zaltzman asked, what is your favorite anagram of Ira Glass? I looked at the choices. I looked through the list. Here's some. These are the ones that were the most coherent to me. Salsa rig, which would be like a machine for making salsa. Um, Gas liars. Airs slag. Mm -hmm. Or ask rail. (laughs) Askrail just has a kind of uh, gritty realism to it, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, clearly, the winner there is salsa rig. Like, that's just cheerful, right? Like, that's just, like, makes you feel good. Like, when you it just think, very, like, because like, who doesn't cheerful. have salsa? And then the notion that there's, like, a machine that's going to make it. You know, it's a lot of chopping. And, uh, and uh, like, uh, I, that's just, it just makes you feel good as a person in a way that Askrail does not. Well, Ira, I, as always, I'm very grateful to you for your time and, uh, you know, for the example you've shown me in, in the industry in which I work at. I really admire your work and I'm, I'm grateful for what you've done. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to chat. Ira Glass, folks. This American Life is a tremendous feat of radio making and reporting and, um, I don't know what to tell you. You probably already listened to it. If you haven't listened to it in a while, guess what? Still totally rules. Don't know how that's possible, but it's true. You can find the show on this public radio station, probably, and at thislife.org. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Although I was actually on tour this past week with Judge Sean Hodgman, had a great time all over town. Hope everybody will come out on our East Coast swing that's just about to happen. But I will say the coolest thing I did was go to the Driehaus Museum in Chicago, uh, which is just a totally incredible aesthetic movement Victorian house that is just absolutely bonkers. It's right there in downtown Chicago. I had never heard of it. It was so cool. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Special thanks to Tony Caven and the NPR legal team for confirming that we can say Ask Rail as an anagram for Ira Glass on NPR. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by the Go Team. Thanks to the Go Team. Thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on Instagram at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I am on Instagram at put.this.on. Follow us there. But I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.